chapter number 2. What are we singing? It's playing it back through. <laughs> wow. All right, 1 Peter chapter number 2. You just turn the volume down. Okay. All right. First Peter chapter number two, and uh, let's let's begin reading in verse number seven, and we'll read down through about uh, verse number ten. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." Father, we pray that you'll bless the service and uh, the truth from these passages that we will look at today. And, Father, that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us. I pray that uh, you will move, and, Lord, as we preach this morning, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be recommitted to the task of winning people to you to share the gospel everywhere we go. Lord, as we look forward to ending up 2018 and pressing into 2019, I pray that you would... Uh, Help us to hit the reset button and to rededicate our lives and our hearts and our minds. And, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will have uh, the freedom and the the surrendered and yielded spirit that he needs to work with in our hearts. That we would seek for him and follow him. And, Lord, we ask that he would uh, give us his power to accomplish the work and the task that you've given us to do. And then, Father, as we look at this passage today, I pray that it will encourage us and help us to strive to be more of what we ought to be for you, that it will instruct us the way that we ought to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find in verse number 9, as we uh, are reading what Peter's writing here, that we are a chosen generation. And the idea behind that phrase is the fact that there is a purpose that God has for us. It's, we're not just... Uh, a people out here that's just kind of out in limbo land and, and God just kind of sees us and is aware of us. But because we are, are saved, and it refers to it in verse number 10, as those that have obtained mercy. And so because we are saved, God has chosen certain things for us. There's a purpose that He has in our lives. And we find in verse number 9 that we are a chosen generation. There's a, a distinct purpose or I would say it this way, there is a sanctification, and that word's a big word, but it simply means for us to be set apart for a purpose. God has a distinct purpose. He's chosen us as His people, as those that have obtained mercy, to, to fulfill certain things. We find all those in verse number 9. Look with me first of all at the first thing that God has chosen for us, and that is for us to be a royal priesthood. For us to be a royal priesthood. I'm thankful that God has adopted me into His family. Not only has He given me mercy, and not only has He given me grace, but He has made me a child of the King. 
I, I am an heir, the Bible says, and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. I can come to the Father, according to Hebrews chapter number 5, boldly to the throne of grace. I can walk into uh, the presence of God at any moment as His child. And I can pray as He taught His disciples, our Father, which art in heaven. We can call Him our Father. We know that we have that relationship that a father has with a son or a daughter. And the idea that we are royalty, we've been adopted into the family of Almighty God put some stipulations on us because of that. Because of the fact that we are a child of the king, then we represent the king in our life. And our life ought to be marked and characterized by that which would reflect our relationship with God. In other words, when people look at us, do they know that we're a child of the king? Or are we still living as a slave to sin? Are we a, are we a peasant? Are we lost? Are we undone? Are we groveling in the sin and the mire of a worldliness? Or are we uh, 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 adorned in royal robes and are we seen as a child of the king? There ought to be a difference about us. I was listening uh, years ago. We had a young man preach in a, one of our youth conferences. And he said a lot of us are living like children of the devil when we're really children of the king. And he said, which way are we living? And sad to say, a lot of times in our lives, uh, we, we don't realize who we represent. Uh, when I was a kid, and I've said this before in our church, my mom and dad made it very apparent to us kids that there was a, a Boer name that had some, uh, some uh, uh, character to it. That My mom and dad had worked very hard to have a good name in our community. And when we would go out, there were many times they would say, now remember who you represent. And when they said that, we knew that there were two things they meant by that. Number one, we were a booer and we were supposed to uh, be able to um, not cause dishonor to the name, the booer name. But secondly, we belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our testimony was important. The Bible says here that God's chosen us as a generation to be a royal priesthood. And I'm thankful that not only am I royalty, not only have I been adopted into the house of God and the family of God, and not only do I have the right as a child to come to Him as my Father, but the Bible teaches here that I'm a royal priesthood. Aren't you glad today that you and I have direct access to Him and we don't have to come through a priest anymore? We don't have to go through a priest for our atonement of sin. We don't have to go through a priest to get forgiveness of our sin. My, I was talking with uh, uh, a young lady this week, and I'm not going to share who it is, uh, but uh, I was talking with a young lady this week who has a friend who uh, is struggling with this idea of, of uh, what type of religion he believes in. And uh, one of the things about that is uh, the religion that he thinks he is uh, has the idea or the mindset that in order for you to get forgiveness of sin, you're supposed to go to a priest and confess them. And I'm thankful that the Bible says if we confess our sin, He is willing and just to forgive us of our sin. Not the priest, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And to forgive us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful that in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7 and 8 and 9, it talks about the fact that He is our high priest. He's the one that is the advocate for us. He's the surety for our sin. And we have every right. One of the great tenets of the Baptist faith is the fact that we believe in the priesthood of the believer. That we have every right to come before God. And that God has chosen this to be a part of our lives. It's an inheritance that we get from being one of His children. And can I say this? It ought to be something that we take advantage of all the time. 
that we can come to the very presence of God. It's something that we ought to take advantage of on, on a, a, a continual basis. It's something we ought to be mindful of all the time, that we're a royal priesthood. I want you to notice, secondly, not only are we a royal priesthood, but he says that we are supposed to be a holy nation. We're chosen to be a holy nation. Now, I, I, don't, I know that this is something that goes without saying. We as God's people know that we are to strive to live holy. We're to think on things that are pure and clean. We're to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And the Bible even says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. But the day that you and I live in is a day that is very much a temptation and an enticement and even a, a peer pressure type of a situation that too many times and far too often cause even God's people, God's children, to take on unholiness, to be spotted by the world. Uh, years ago, uh, there was a young uh, 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 lady that was the daughter of uh, a man who owned a large number of coal mines. In fact, was one of the top names in the coal industry. And this was back in the time when uh, uh, there weren't a lot of modern ways of mining the coal. And the dad went to visit the coal mine, and uh, the daughter wanted to go with him. And she showed up that morning in a spotless white dress. The foreman of the coal mine came up to her and he said, Ma'am, we have some other clothes over here. You're going to want to change before you go down in the coal mine. And the young lady was offended by that. And she said, Sir, you're not going to tell me and no one else is going to tell me. Do you know who I am? I am the owner's daughter. And you're not going to tell me what I can wear down into that coal mine and what I cannot wear down into that coal mine. And there is nothing you can do to stop me from wearing this dress down in that coal mine. He said, yes, ma'am. He said, there's nothing I can do to stop you from wearing a white dress down into that coal mine. But he said, I can guarantee you when you come out, you will not have a white dress. The reason was he knew that if she got in amongst that coal and all the dust that was down in there, that that dress would become spotted by the contaminants that were around her. Can I tell you this? Even in the world and day that we live in, it is possible for a Christian's garments to become spotted by the world. If you wallow around and you mire down into the minds of the world and go the places they go and do the things that they do, you can mark it down. We will have world spots on us. The Bible teaches here that we are chosen by God to be a royal priesthood, but we are also chosen to be a holy nation. There was a day when men and women strived to have holiness in their life. There, there was a day when holiness was important. There was a day when it was frowned on for a Christian to live a worldly or a carnal life. Nowadays, it's lauded. Nowadays, people are lifted up and honored and praised for their, uh, their ability to be like the world in order to reach them. The Bible does still teach that we're to come out from among them and be separate. And I'm not saying that you don't ever have anything to do with the world. The Bible says we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We certainly have a job to do. We have to win people to Christ. 
But when we start acting and looking and talking and doing the same things that the world does, just like the world, all we're telling them is we may, we, we may know what the problem is, but we don't know what the answer is. There needs to be something different. When we go to a lost person and tell them that they're sinners and that the Lord Jesus Christ loved them enough to die on the cross for their sin, there needs to be something different about us. Otherwise, why would they listen to us? God's chosen us to be a holy nation. Thirdly, He's chosen us to be a peculiar people. A peculiar people. Hold your finger here in 1 Peter, if you don't mind, and turn back with me to the book of Titus. Right before the book of Hebrews, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. Uh, let's back up verse number 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Boy, could you imagine what our churches would be like today if our folks followed after that pattern? That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, not showing all good fidelity, uh, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God, and I want you to see these next several verses. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, and this is why He gave Himself, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify. Do you see that word? Purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What makes this type of people peculiar? What is it that sets this peculiar person apart? Number one, he's a child of God. This peculiar person is not an unsaved person. This is a person that has trusted Christ as their Savior. Number two, he is a purified person. He's a person that has allowed the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to not only wash away his sin and save him, but also to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide him into a walking life that is full of holiness. He is a purified person. That is peculiar in the day and age that we live in, isn't it? You look around, even in our churches, a lot of times, even Christians don't, are not marked uh, by their purity. This peculiar person is a person that's a child of God, is a person that is purified. And I want you to notice also, according to Titus chapter number 2, the Bible says, "...who gave himself for us, they might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people." And this is the other thing that characterizes a peculiar people. They are zealous of what? Good works. What does the word zealous mean? We don't use that word a lot in common everyday language anymore. But what does the word zealous mean? Anybody? 
sold out. Okay, that, that's, that leans, lends itself to it. What is zealous? We're not talking about jealous, but zealous with a Z. What is it? Fervent. That's a great word for zealous. I love that one. All right. What else? I love the word fervent. That's a Bible word, isn't it? Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Zealous of good works. On fire, passionate. What is it that marks the peculiar person? They're a child of God. They're purified. And they are zealous of good works. That means they are excited. They are on fire. They cannot wait to go out here and bring glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the way they live, by the way they act, by the way they speak, by the things that they do, by the things that they think. To be able to glorify God and point men to the Lord Jesus Christ because they are zealous of good works. You know what I find most of the time in the day that you and I live? I find that there are Christians who do have good works. But it's amazing to me how often those works are done grudgingly and resentfully as though they have to do them rather than they get to do them. Where is the joy and the excitement of living righteous and holy? Where is the joy and the excitement of serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is the joy and the excitement of being sold out to God? I mean, just take your hands off your life and give him 100%. There was a young man <coughs> years ago in my youth program, and he had uh, been back and forth. His name was Ed, uh, and uh, his, he had been back and forth uh, between being excited about the things of the Lord in his early teens, and then he kind of got away from the Lord and kind of didn't want to have a lot to do with Him, and then he kind of got excited again, and then he kind of went away from Him again. And finally, as he got to his junior and senior year of high school, uh, he got into a, a really rebellious uh, spirit with his family and his mom and his dad. He was raised in a godly Christian home and uh, just really had a difficult time. And uh, we were getting ready to take our young people to a youth camp, a youth conference that summer, and uh, we had about 25 or so, 30 teenagers going, and we loaded up the bus, and we went on the trip. And the entire trip, Ed did everything that he could to just disrupt and create a problem, and the preaching time would come, and you could watch. You ever watch somebody that is so under conviction they can't sit still? You ever see anybody like that? I mean, literally, he was squirming, would, would talk and cut up and do everything he could in the service, because he knew if he listened... God was going to get a hold of his heart again, and he didn't want it. I remember taking him out one night after the, uh, it was, I think it was the second or the third night of the youth conference, and he had just been, uh, I, I wanted to pull the rest of my hair out. I really did as a youth pastor. You just There's some kids like that in your youth group sometimes, and I just wanted to pull the rest of my hair out, or his, whichever one I could get a hold of. I remember talking to him. We got home about 10 o'clock. I got back to the motel about 10 o'clock or 10.30 that night. I said, Ed, I want you to stay, stay around for a minute after everybody goes down. I need to talk to you. I talked to him for probably about an hour and a half that night. We went round and round. I said, Ed, what are you fighting? What are you fighting? I said, why, why aren't you? I said, he's like, I want to be a real man. I want to be a real man. I want to stand on my own two feet. I said, okay. I said, then be man enough to give God everything. Well, I don't know if I could do that. He was going to a public school at the time. I don't know if I could do that. They'd make fun of me. I said, I thought you wanted to be a real man. 
I, I said, don't you want to, don't you want to, you know, be tough about this thing? And, and I said, anybody can can talk bad about God and not have anything to do with God. I said, have you ever tried to take a stand for God in your public school? He said, Brother Greg, that's hard. I said, Ed, when have you ever shied away from anything that was too hard? You thrive on it. That's what you try for. I said, Ed, why don't you give God a trial? I said, for 30 days, 30 days, would you do something for me? Would you sell out to God for 30 days? That's all I'm asking. At the end of 30 days, you can go back to being Ed. But for the next 30 days, give God 100% of who you are. Miss Rose will tell you this. We had gotten his senior picture that they had taken at the school, and he had given it to us in his graduation uh, announcement. I still have the picture. It's next door in the basement, packed away. I still have that picture. I keep it as a reminder because I remember watching and seeing that picture. And if you ever look at that picture, if I brought it in here and let you look at it, you'd look at that young man, you say, This is a young man that is full of despair. His eyes were sunk in. There was no joy in his face at all. I didn't know how Ed was going to respond to that. We went to bed. I told him I loved him and cared about him and said, go on to bed and we'll talk more about this tomorrow. Not knowing whether Ed was going to do that or not. I woke up the next morning. We came out to the bus (laughs) and talk about somebody that goes from one extreme to the other. The next morning, he jumps on the bus. He said, Brother Greg, can I say something to the kids? I said, yeah, that's fine. He said, how many of you got up this morning and read five chapters in your Bible? <laughs> of course, none of them kids had. They'd been up late. They were bleary-eyed. They were just all they could do to pull themselves out of bed that morning. But Ed had. He got up early, read five chapters in his Bible. I noticed a lot of arrogance and pride in what he was trying to do, but I thought, he's trying. He's trying. And later on that day, he went to the altar in the first service. He went to the altar in the second service. By the time he went to the altar, I think it was the third or the fourth service that he had gone to the altar on, he came back to his chair and he was weeping. I thought, God got him. For 30 days, Ed sat on the front pew of our church in the church that we were at in Florida. Instead of wearing old jeans and a ratty t-shirt, he had a shirt and tie on, brought his Bible, took notes, listened to the pastor. About 30 or 45 days later, we were on another youth activity, and Ed was one of the biggest helps. He was almost like an assistant youth pastor helping with the activity. Brother Greg, what do you need? What can I do to help? Night and day difference. There was a picture taken. I still have the picture. Group picture that was taken, and there he is standing on the end of the group. And I I thought, man, what a difference. And I went to the drawer, and I pulled out his senior picture we had gotten about a month earlier, and I laid them down in the kitchen, called Rose over, and I said, Rose, look at these. Boy, what a difference. What a difference. There's a young man with bright eyes and a smile on his face. Ed was convinced that selling out to God was something that was going to be a drudgery to him. 
And it ended up being the greatest joy of his life. God has chosen us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, I don't expect you to come in here Sunday morning and say, Brother Greg, can I talk to the church? How many of y'all read five chapters in the Bible this morning? I'm not asking you to do that. But can we become zealous of good works? Can it become something that we're fervent about? That we love? And it's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. We get to do something for the Lord. We get to take our hands off our life and, and for the first time say, Lord, you've got it all. You've got every bit of it. There's not one ounce of it I'm holding back. Try it for 30 days. See what happens. You think that God might honor it? If you gave Him 30 days of absolute surrender, do you think God would honor it? Oh, I believe He would. And I'll be honest with you. For several years, Ed was that way. Oh, he still had his valleys every once in a while, but oh, it sure made a difference in his life. Just letting go and saying, God, I want to be a peculiar person. When people look at me, I want them to say, boy, there's something strange about him. Not in a bad way. In a good way. There's something different about him. Oh, that it would be something that could be said of us. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Can we challenge each other to do that? Can we edify each other, encourage each other to do that? Not out of arrogance, not out of pride, but out of a humble spirit that loves God with all their heart. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're so thankful for your word. I pray that you'll bless the message this morning as simple as it has been this afternoon. Lord, nothing profound, just simple truth. Lord, what a difference you can make in our lives. Lord, we call it having our hearts transformed. And Lord, there's great joy in it. There are those in this room sitting here this afternoon that have been through that and experienced the great joy of it. And then there are those that have maybe perhaps even been there before in their life, but over time, that joy, that zealousness, that fervency has dwindled. And Lord, we find ourselves muddling through the Christian life. Oh, that there would be that fervency again. That joy in selling out and giving you everything. To be fully yielded and surrendered to you. Father, may you move in this service. And Lord, draw our hearts to be yielded, to be absolutely void of our own will, an empty vessel that is waiting to be filled and that your will would be accomplished in us. 
Lord, we pray that you'll dismiss us with your blessings and with the message on our hearts. Bring us back again safely again this week. We pray in Jesus' name.